Welcome to the Knobcast. Thank you for dropping by. This is where we simplify Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mary Victoria, and this podcast is sponsored by Bitnob. Bitnob is an easy-to-use app where you can automatically save, borrow, earn, send, and receive Bitcoin all in one place at the cheapest rates. Download Bitnob, B-I-T-N-O-B, from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store using the links in the show notes. Or visit the website at bitnob.com. That's B-I-T-N-O-B.com. This could be the time when you consider to self-custody your Bitcoin. In this episode, I interviewed Zach Herbert, co-founder and CEO of Foundation Devices, a company focused on producing computing products that give users the power to reclaim their sovereignty. Foundation Devices produces the air-gapped hardware wallet Passport and is accompanying mobile app Envoy. We talk about how Passport and Envoy work, hardware wallet best practices, and so much more. And if you love this podcast, feel free to send us a boost on Fountain.fm. Fountain.fm is a platform where you can support your favorite podcast by sending Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. To send us a boost, just tap on the Thunderbolt icon next to the podcast name on Fountain.fm. So buckle your seatbelt, subscribe to the podcast, drop a review, and without further ado, let's cue the intro. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's really nice to have you. Do you mind if you could tell us a little bit about yourself so our audience get to know you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a co-founder and CEO at Foundation Devices. So we make um, computing products that enable you to reclaim your sovereignty. So right now that's a hardware wallet called Passport and a accompanying mobile app called Envoy. That's awesome. So um, before we go into um, foundation devices and what you guys do, I'd love to hear your Bitcoin story. How did you get into Bitcoin? Sure, yeah. I've, uh, I got into Bitcoin back in 2013 or so. Um, and back then, I think I, I just got really excited about it from more of an investment potential. I, I wasn't philosophically aligned yet. And then, you know, after many years of listening to podcasts and Reddit and Twitter and so on, I started to really go down the rabbit hole and start to care a lot more about sovereignty um, and, you know, having control over my own money and and so on. Um, And so back in, I think 2016, I was actually uh, buying and selling hardware wallets on one of the first um, decentralized marketplaces, which was called Open Bazaar. Um, and that's long gone. Uh, I think the the founders oh, there no. ended up on the wrong side of the four cores, you know, back in, back in the day, but it was kind of cool. Cause I got to, you know, uh, get really comfortable and familiar using, you know, like Trezor devices, ledger devices. I think cold card was just coming out the next year and providing like basic customer support, you know, for those products. Um, so I am um, mechanical engineer by training. So I've always been really into physical devices and computers and hardware. And uh, I was in business school at the same time. I was like for fun buying and selling, you know, hardware wallets and ultimately decided to, to drop out to join a startup in the cryptocurrency space in the Boston area where I was at the time. So I was there from 2017 through 2020. We were actually doing some crazy stuff like making making ASIC miners for a couple of different cryptocurrencies. That's um, cool. Unfortunately, not 
yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy. Um, it was, it was really cool because it was a crash course to everything mining, but then also manufacturing hardware in the United States, you know, so like more local manufacturing, shipping out, you know, many millions of dollars of, of physical devices and kind of working on the, from the beginning to through our design manufacturing and so on. Um, but you know, one is I really want to be Bitcoin full-time, you know, and focused on Bitcoin and having an impact, you know, I really want to be a founder. And so I, and a few of my teammates, uh, quit our jobs in the beginning of COVID in, uh, in April of 2020. And we, uh, we Wait, launched foundation at the height devices. of COVID. Yeah. Literally like a month into COVID. That's as everything the craziest to get really time bad. to quit your job. <laughs> it was probably the, among the worst times to start a startup. Um, and, but we just like. We just felt like we had to do it because I had listened to um, this great Stefan Levera podcast back in 2019 uh, with Michael Flaxman titled, it was something titled like why every hardware wallet sucks. (laughs) And so since I listened to that, I had started to really think about, you know, what's like, what's my wish list for like the ideal hardware wallet, you know, and, and why is no one bringing it to market? And why has Trezor and Ledger been so like stagnant, you know, in terms of the design and form factors and the product itself? And and so I think we just had this big urgency that like if we didn't go do it as soon as possible, that maybe someone else would. Um, so I feel like you have that like extreme urgency. And um, even though it's probably the worst time to like start a company especially uh, because we were doing hardware, which is always like more difficult to raise money for and, and, and so on. Um, I think it was a good time because it forced us to be like very constrained and focused on like shipping, you know, as soon as possible. Uh, So, yeah, so that, that's how we started the company. And so um, it's, it's really amazing to be able to go from like a a user of these products to actually, you know, making them. Uh, it's, it's been a really exciting journey. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been like wondering what would make someone focus on only hardware. Because mm. in the past couple of years that I've been into Bitcoin, like I just see many people want to innovate on the technology, but never like the hardware aspect. So like for me to come across like companies that are focused on hardware alone, because they're not as many as the software mm. companies, right? You know, I I just found it really intriguing. But now hearing your background in like, you know, the hardware devices in the past, like now it makes more sense. But um, (laughs) so if you're to compare like what it was like selling hardware back in the day with now, what was it like? What was the experience like? I mean, it was the, the number of people that were interested in actually buying these products, I think was tiny compared to today, I think is the first thing. Um, most people were always just storing things on exchanges. And I think we hit like a really interesting inflection point in 2020. So even though 2020 was like a bad year in terms of the world and COVID and so on, um, that was the year where I think for the first time more Bitcoin flowed off of exchanges than flowed in, mm-hmm. which is kind of a cool time to start a company. Well, we didn't know it at the time, right? But a kind of cool timing to uh, to start working on a new hardware wallet uh, because I think the market is only getting bigger and bigger. And so back then you had to try to convince people why self-custody yeah. was important. And even <laughs> in 2020, like when we were having our first conversations with investors and so on, so many of the questions was like, why do I, why do I need to care about self-custody? Like, this is stupid. It's too difficult. No one's going to do this. And that was only a couple of years ago. It's amazing to think how much the world has changed in just the last couple of years. And now I think it's it's 
just there's such a strong definitive uh, reason, you know, for, for self-custody. And I think that um, most people get it at this point. And so I think even though the the Bitcoin market and the crypto market is is maybe you could call it a bear market now. I have a feeling that, um, and from what we've seen in general, that just in terms of self-custody products, I don't think the demand is, is slowing down. I think it's it's only picking up as the world gets more crazy. And so that's a huge contrast to back in like 2016, you know, 2017 time period. Yeah, absolutely. And now with all what's happening in the crypto market and, you know, what's happening with the exchanges, more people are becoming aware of the need to self-custody. Like I'm, I've started to see like an increase in material and tweets and, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. about self-custody and all that. So like you, you guys came at the right time. Um, (laughs) So which is like, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't want to say luck. It's more like divine timing. You guys came at just the right time. And I think, you know, now that we're seeing like all these exchanges, you know, game being bankrupt and stuff mm-hmm. like it's not going to end because, you know, crypto is crypto, right? Bitcoin is Bitcoin is totally on a different plane. And so I think now people are becoming more aware. Just recently, I started really considering having a hardware wallet myself. So mm-hmm. and when I came across Passport, it looked so much easier to use than the other hardware wallets. But I'd love to hear it from you. Like, what would you say makes Passport stand out from your other competitors? For sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's a there's a bunch of things, both in terms of like the user experience and like the physical design, and then also the security model and the way of actually communicating with the devices is, is really different. So just from a high level, one is that Passport intentionally looks kind of like an old cell phone. Um, it has, you know, a screen and, and, a, and a navigation pad and like an actual n- numeric keypad. The reason a beautiful for that is because old we- cell phone. Beautiful <laughs> yeah, cell phone. maybe more like the old people remember like the like the Virtu phones or something, which are very expensive. But um, yeah, I mean, we wanted to try to make it firstly something that was like physically like something you want to pick up off the table that was approachable. I think what we've noticed is a lot of the a lot of like the design language, especially for the hardware in the space is like more techie in focus. It's not something that like you want to like pick up and start fidgeting with. Sometimes like you're intimidated by it or you don't really, you don't really want like know how to use it. It has like two buttons. You don't know what the buttons do and a little screen and you have to like figure out how to use the product. So when we designed Passport, like we, we wanted you to already know how to use it. We didn't want you to have to learn how to use your hardware wallet and then learn how to use Bitcoin because like Bitcoin is already hard enough. So we thought, okay, like let's let's make it approachable. Let's make it something you actually want to pick up the table, turn on, you, you already know how to use it so that you can then focus on the harder part, which is actually learning how to, you know, self-custody your Bitcoin. So that was a big aspect of it. Um, and that includes having, you know, like a really easy software user interface um, originally with our Passport Founders Edition, it was just a black and white display, but the interface, like the UI kind of looked like an, it looked like the original like iPod UI. So everyone's super familiar with that. Now we have kind of a, a cool color screen and, and a new user interface, but it's still very intuitive and welcoming and, and high quality uh, in nature. And then the other big thing is actually how you interact with it. People are usually plugging their hardware wallets into the computer and having to like sit down and know if they're going to make a transaction or something. They're going to have to take a few minutes. It's like a process. 
uh, passport, uh, the primary means of communicating uh, is with a camera and the screen for doing QR codes. And so it works yeah, really that's well. that's really interesting, actually. That, I think that was yeah. the aspect that stood out for me. Yeah, so it's cool because you you preserve like the air-gapped security model, meaning that there's no cables, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no Bluetooth or anything like that. So you have this like very high level of security, but the QR codes mean that it can be so easy to use with your cell phone, with, you know, with your iPhone or Android phone. And so that's really great because like you want to be able to provide like a mobile first experience. I think, I think the majority of internet users, I mean, everyone's using their phones. I think one of the things that makes adoption for Bitcoin harder and cryptocurrency in general is if you have to go to your computer for everything. So being able to have the hardware wallet that works with, you know, your phone that's still air gapped where you can do a transaction in a couple of seconds by flashing some QR codes back and forth. I think is a huge improvement in the user experience. Um, and it also means that you're not stuck with like the proprietary app, like with Ledger, if you want to use Bluetooth, you're pretty much stuck with like the Ledger live app. Uh, but with Passport, it's compatible with a broad array of the different Bitcoin software wallets that are available either on your phone or on your desktop. So you can use it with our app Envoy if you want to, but you can also use it really easily with Casa over QR codes. You can use it with Blue Wallet. You can use it with some, you know, Android specific wallets like Simple Bitcoin Wallet and go from cold storage to Lightning Channel in a single step over QR codes. So it's like really cool what you can do with it. And so we were thinking not just about like the user experience and the security, but also like how do you make the hardware wallet really simply and easily compatible with as many different software wallets as possible, especially with an emphasis on like the mobile first user experience. So, so those are a bunch of things that that separates Passport. And then the other thing that I think is really important is that everything's open source, the hardware and the software. Um, and some, some of the hardware wallets are, some aren't, you know, right now. And just, we think it's so important that if you have, you know, decentralized open source, you know, money, right. That, and, and software that you're, you're, uh, doing it on a foundation of, of open source hardware as well. That's a lot of goodness <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in one device. That's really cool. Um, so, I mean, just to, and I don't want to like backtrack so much, but for sure. the, the newbies that are listening to mm -hmm. this podcast, like why would you advise them to, you know, store their Bitcoin in a hardware wallet? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the most basic explanation is that if you have a hot wallet, uh, like a wallet on your phone that's connected to the internet, or if you have your coins on an exchange, like a you know any exchange, right? Those, well, firstly, if it's on an exchange, those keys aren't yours, and so that has the you know we, we've seen, for example, Celsius recently, you know, pause withdrawals. So we've seen time and time again throughout history, people's coins getting trapped on exchanges. Um, and there's so many things that could go wrong. But then even on the hot wallet side, uh, there was a crazy one in the last week with uh, one of the popular Solana wallets. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> had a, whether you could call it a bug or vulnerability or something malicious going on. But, you know, the, the wallet on the user's phone, actually, when you set it up, sent the seed right to the company server. <laughs> and then at mm -hmm. one point, at some point in time, we don't know how it happened. We don't know who did it, but they swept all these wallets and stole all the all the money you know that was stored on them so when you have a hardware wallet what's really cool about that is that the keys are stored on an offline device so the device is not connected to the internet it's specifically designed to store bitcoin or, or cryptocurrency um, and you basically communicate with it from your phone or your computer 
And then anytime you need to send a transaction, you have to approve that from the from the device itself, from the hardware wallet. And so you're keeping the keys offline. It's almost like a multi-factor authentication. Anytime you want to send a transaction, it makes it so much more difficult for someone to, you know, um, steal those coins. Now, it could, of course, it could still be, it could still happen, um, but especially with devices like ours that provide um, really good physical security, where like even if a passport is stolen, it's really hard to get anything off of it. You know, you can have a lot more confidence that if you're storing large amounts of Bitcoin, that it's it's as safe as possible. I love the amount of thoughts that went into creating the password, like from the user experience to even how the password looks and the feel and everything is just really great. I'm curious about how long it took to think through all these little details. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, I've been thinking about it since mid 2019. And so by the time we actually started the company in, in April of 2020, like we already knew what we wanted to build. Um, so we had the device pretty much like the whole design and everything finalized by fall. And then obviously it was a mad sprint to try to get everything ready for manufacturing and the firmware and so on. Right. Uh, and I think we started shipping in like eight in like, I think May of 2021. So it took about a year from like company inception to start shipping, but we knew what we wanted to do pretty early on. Yeah. And I love it. And I think that with time, we'll see new updates um, come with it. Like I'm curious to know more about Envoy. That is the app that comes along with Passport. So how does that work? And are what are the differences with Envoy and the other wallets that yeah. are available? Yeah. So when we actually first launched Passport Founders Edition last year, which was like our first first design limited to a thousand, you know, units in that batch, we actually did not have any mobile wallet to go with it. So we suggested that new users use blue wallet because that was a pretty simple like onboarding experience. But then we had like a wallet pairing screen where we listed all the different wallets, the software wallets that Passport was compatible with. But we what we realized is that there wasn't any uh, Bitcoin software wallet that was like easy and simple enough for the new user, like the new Bitcoiner or the person who's new to self-custody. Because most of the wallets you see have so many features and options when you go to set it up. Mm, tell you start me to about hear it. Like, <laughs> like, seg like SegWit, native SegWit, and these address formats. And you're like, okay, what is that? And then even things like the transaction fee, where you have like multiple different speeds and they show you like the transaction fee and like a sats per byte metric and you're like hold up like do i pay the highest transaction fee do i pay the lowest transaction fee what does that mean then also there's like the the more simple wallets tend to have trade-offs when it comes to privacy so like they're simple to use but then uh, by default they're just connecting to like the company server and so all of your transaction details can be associated to like your ip address meaning that you know, theoretically, if if they wanted to, the company that makes the wallet could go kind of see like, oh, this user is associated with these transactions. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to step in and tell you a little bit about saving Bitcoin with Bitnob. The minute I started using Bitnob, it changed the way I invest in Bitcoin forever. With Bitnob, I can create a plan and it automatically invests in Bitcoin for me using the dollar cost average strategy. That's it, nice and easy. Download Bitnob, B-I-T-N-O-B, and watch your Bitcoin investments grow. So we want to try to make something that was, you know, as easy as possible to use, like radically more simple than the existing options out there for, for Bitcoin software wallets. 
but that also had really good privacy defaults that the more hardcore users would approve of. Um, then additionally, we wanted to make it really easy to just get your passport shipped, you know, delivered out of the box to setting up the entire device without needing to go into your computer. So like the onboarding, the support guides, the, even the firmware updates for the hardware wallet to be able to do that all through the app. So Envoy right now is like, A, it's the device manager. So it lets you go through the whole onboarding experience and manage one or multiple passports that you connect to it. So you know, can connect your passport. You get notified when there's you know new firmware update. It helps you with support or anything like that. And then also optionally, you can use Envoy as a really simple Bitcoin software wallet. We're like, literally, I think it's the most simple experience on the market. The only option the user has is whether to pay a higher fee when they do a transaction. And we call that like boost. And we tell you like, you either send it, like this is how long it's going to take for your transaction to arrive with default fee, or you can choose to get it there a little bit faster by paying the slightly higher fee. Like that, that is the only options that we have. Um, that was by design, you know, we'll build it out more over time. But what's really cool about that is that you know, it makes for, I think, a really great beginner's experience, you know, or even if you're a more advanced user that just doesn't want to do too much stuff with it, you know, makes for a great experience. And then also the app connects over Tor by default, which is like a more, it's like a private, you know, internet uh, privacy preserving, like, uh, I don't know how to necessarily describe it, but like a, like a, a internet, um, like a private internet essentially is maybe for beginner users, a good way to describe it. So it means that, um, you know, when the app connects to our servers, we can't see who you are. You know, we don't have an IP address. We don't know who you are, where you are. So that means you can actually go ahead and start using the app from day one and it preserves your privacy as well. I love all the attention to detail to privacy and that's really cool. <laughs> I think that is something that really stands out with mm -hmm. your devices. But like yeah. if you're going to name another thing that makes Passport and Envoy like stand out, like aside from privacy, what's that one thing? I think it's just how they like perfectly interface together you know it's it's like the idea that you um when you build the the hardware and then you also build the software you just have like a really nicely tight it's a tightly integrated experience right where everything just works um and so i think that is um you know is really key and that's what we're proud of so like you'll see that the ui on your passport screen looks quite similar to your envoy screen you start to see little details like if you have multiple accounts for your Bitcoin, you can like label them, you know, personal business, whatever. Uh, the colors actually end up matching automatically, like what's on the Envoy screen. So there's a lot of this like attention to detail where you have this more integrated um, experience. Oh, that's cool. So like the users, <laughs> the users for Passport and Envoy, where are they predominantly from? And are you looking at also servicing, you know, Africa, Asia, third world countries? Yeah. So right now it's predominantly the US and Europe, which is kind of expected. You know, Passport has a starting price of, you know, it's it's somewhere around $250 right now, I think $259. And so it's a more premium product. It's somehow less expensive than a Trezor. I don't know how a Trezor is like over $300 today. It's kind of crazy. Ledger is a little, little bit less, you know, if you get the more flagship Nano X, but we're, we're still trying to be more premium. However, what we're going to be working on over the next several months is building out Envoy into like a standalone app where you'll be able to use it even without a passport. 
And what's great about that is we hope that it's going to become a really great like beginner Bitcoin software wallet. And so if you're trying to figure out, you know, um, how can I get onboarded really easily? What's a good wallet to recommend to someone who's totally new to self-custody? We hope that people will start recommending Envoy um, and, and throughout the world, right? Not just in the US and Europe. Um, and we're we're trying to figure out, you know, as we build that out over the next few months, you know, what's the best way to allow users to onboard and like back up their seeds without necessarily like writing those seed words down because that that holds up a lot of people. You know, we've seen interesting models from other companies in the space, and we're trying to figure out like what's the best way to do that where the user has full sovereignty and privacy, but like they can get onboarded in a couple minutes without having to like make mistakes, right? Which it's so easy to make mistakes when you're, you know, self-custodying your own Bitcoin. And so you'll you'll also see, you know, as we build out Envoy into a standalone app, uh, you'll see that we stay very true to those privacy features and privacy by default. So we're really hoping that maybe by end of this year, beginning of next year, you know, people all over the world will start recommending Envoy because it provides such a simple and, you know, sovereign and, and really private experience to, to using Bitcoin. And then I'm sure hopefully, you know, many of those users will decide to also buy a passport over time, right? If they start to store larger amounts of Bitcoin. And I think the way I like to think about it is like, once you're starting, once you're storing like more than a few thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, it's probably time to start to consider a hardware wallet. So that's not for everyone, right? We're not, we're not going to tell everyone, oh, you need to have a hardware wallet right away, right? We think it's more of like a, like it's a sequential process. You know, your coins start usually on an exchange, usually. Um, Though there's also, we always would recommend trying to get them without, you know, uh, giving up your your KYC, you know, your privacy details, but you get your Bitcoin and, and then you go to a software wallet. And then once you have enough, it's worth buying the hardware wallet. I've been having conversations with people, you know, here, right? So I'm based mm-hmm. in Lagos, Nigeria. And mm-hmm. the people that I've spoken to, they're quite interested in having a hardware wallet. They know the benefits of having one. But what usually keeps them from taking that step is the price, right? Because yeah. a lot yeah. of these hardware walls are really expensive. And the ones that are available, like that you can buy from like um, a store online is not coming directly from the manufacturers and i think Mm -hmm. that personally stopped me from buying a hardware wallet because i was kind of skeptical where those hardware wallets were coming from i couldn't you know verify whether they're coming straight from the manufacturer or not or if it's if someone is selling me a fake so do you feel that in the future there could be a solution to make hardware wallets affordable for people in third world countries who are interested in self-custodying their Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I do for sure. And I think it's funny you brought up the shipping stuff because it's, it really is like a, a supply chain. Um, like there, there's so many things that can go wrong in like the hardware wallet supply chain, especially if you're buying from a reseller. Like I remember time and time again, you know, people buying like a ledger device off of Amazon and it coming with like the seed words, like filled out already, like the card filled out. And a lot of people like they didn't realize that. And so it doesn't even have to be like a sophisticated kind of, um, you know, actor that that's like selling a hardware wallet with like malicious firmware or something like that. It could be as simple as like someone opens the box and like writes down a seed on the card and then a user's like, oh, that's cool. Like, this is my card. Like, it comes printed with the, with these words on it. I just use that for my, 
for my Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden they find that gone, right? Because they don't really understand how that works. So there's a couple of things to unpack there. One is like, um, just like supply chain integrity. Like we, I, I don't think there's a perfect way to do it yet. I think it's always best to buy from the, you know, manufacturer. Um, but you know, like we have a supply chain verification process. We call it a security check when you first turn on passport where it at least checks that like the firmware itself or the hardware itself has not been tampered with. Like we have a key that gets pre-programmed in there at, at the factory. Oh, that's really cool. And it, yeah. And it makes sure that like that key hasn't been changed and exists, you know, on the device, on the security chip on the device. So that's something, but like that's, that doesn't solve every attack factor, right? That's just something. And then yeah, inter- I mean, we, we definitely ship to customers throughout Africa, um, but the shipping is so expensive, right? And so it's it's more like um, probably you know higher net worth customers that are buying from our website and don't mind paying fifty to one hundred plus dollars for you know shipping internationally and, and getting there. In terms of hardware wallets, like in the cost, I mean, I think like we intentionally started with a more premium product because we wanted to build like the best in class Bitcoin hardware wallet. We want to be like like the best of the best, right? Just like the no brainer option that has all these cool features like the camera and the big screen and the keypad and an internal battery and like an integrated micro SD reader and a really powerful processor and all that kind of stuff, right? So that obviously makes it more expensive. I think there's definitely an ability to make something that's more single purpose, you know, and less expensive um, and really bring down the cost and make it more accessible to, you know, developing countries and, and the entire world. I think there's a couple interesting projects right now that are doing that kind of thing. I think one is like Seed Signer, where they're using like um, these Raspberry Pi Zero boards, which unfortunately are like really hard to get now in like this crazy supply chain crisis that we live in mm-hmm. today, but usually are really easy to get for like $20, $30, you know, and then you can install, you know, this open source, you know, um, essentially operating system onto it, follow a tutorial and kind of build your own hardware wallet. So that's not as, as it's, it's a different experience than buying something that's like from a company and having it all properly supported. But for a lot of people in countries, especially countries where like they may not be allowed to import even a hardware wallet, like a Russia or China, that's always like an accessible, a more accessible option. And then I know like Jack Dorsey's block is is thinking a lot about, you know, how do you build something super cheap, you know, for the entire world. And um, it's a tough one, right? Because from what I know about that project, they are not going to use a screen, you know, they're, it's only going to be over NFC. So there's like going to be trade-offs that, that you're going to make in terms of security and like the user experience in order to get the price down enough. So, I mean, it, it kind of goes, you know, like there's pros and cons. So right now we're focused on, on the higher cost device, like the two to $300 price point, but we would love in the next couple of years to be able to make like a much cheaper one that works perfectly with our Envoy app. And I think there's definitely an opportunity for us to do that, you know, the next couple of years, but unfortunately it's not something that we're doing right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm just glad that that's like a plan <laughs> because um, I feel like the Bitcoin adoption in um, third world countries is going to increase at massive rate. Um, and especially now with projects coming up and people starting to translate Bitcoin materials into local languages mm-hmm. to get more people to understand yeah. and um, get like, uh, start to adopt Bitcoin. I feel like it's only a matter of time before they start thinking about 
uh, the security of their Bitcoin. But like, it's good to know that, you know, there are plans for that. Um, you said that you have mm-hmm. like that um, everything you're doing is open source. So if someone were to build their own hardware wallet, do you feel like that is like the future as well to use your open source for the hardware wallet that people build? Or do you have like other plans or projections for how far people can take the open source that you have, you're working on, you already yeah. have available? Yeah. I mean, I think open source hardware is like so important because it allows you to, you know, A, like build on top of each other's work, you know, kind of that's how human progress happens. That's how we saw like Bitcoin progress, right? Where like everyone contributing and, you know, forking each other's projects and like building new things. So I think it's really important, but I think open source hardware too, like the other big reason for it is so that you can understand like how the device itself works from, you can look at like the circuit board designs, you can look at the firmware, uh, you can be like, okay, this device is doing what the team says it's doing. And I can like verify that for myself, or like I can verify that as an advanced user and then go tell other people that it's, that it's doing what it's saying it's doing in terms of like being able to like build it yourself, at least like with passport, it requires that you're able to like manufacture a circuit board, that you're able to go buy all these components, right? Which you can just buy freely online, but then you have to somehow assemble it onto a circuit board. So it does require some level of like manufacturing connection or know-how, whether you're working with like a local contract manufacturer, you know, or whether you're like pretty savvy and you have like your own little like home machine shop and like soldering equipment and all that. And so I think that's still out of reach for like the vast majority of people. And so I think in terms of like the open source aspect, like a, yes, someone could theoretically come in and be like, I want to go look at passport and like make my own much cheaper version, but like still use most of the same firmware. Like they can do that today, but it's going to have to be more like a savvy individual or a company, but they're more than welcome to do that. Um, or it's going to be, you know, just to, um, you know, to just kind of, like I mentioned, kind of audit and, and understand and look at what we're doing and, and know that it, it, um, it works the way we say it does. Um, I think still like the more practical approach, if you want to build your own hardware wallet is to go with something like a seed signer, or there's another one Spectre DIY that's been around for a long time. Well, more expensive, I think to get like the dev kit, uh, because then there's like tons of tutorials, there's files for 3d printers to like print the enclosure. And there's a whole community around that. And, um, I think that's probably the avenue that I would recommend if you're someone who's interested in like trying to build your own hardware wallet with like $30 worth of, of parts. Hey, Hey, it's me again. Have you heard of the lightning network? It's an easy way of making Bitcoin payments faster and cheaper with Bitnob. You can send and receive any amount of money in Bitcoin across the world. Mm -hmm. You heard that right. Across the world with little or no fees and in seconds. For speedy Bitcoin transactions, choose Bitnob. Download Bitnob, B-I-T-N-O-B, on your favorite app store today. Or visit the website at bitnob.com. That's B-I-T-N-O-B.com. Yeah, and you know, I'm just... I like to explore like different options that are available to Bitcoiners out there because um, the goal really mm-hmm. is to, you know, encourage people to start thinking of ways they can 
adapt and adopt Bitcoin in their own mm-hmm. unique way um, based on the certain circumstances that they're in. Because like we have a lot of Bitcoin only companies that think the US uh, and Europe, mm-hmm. their focus is there sure. because that they can relate with those um, circumstances and situations. Um Maybe they've even traveled to those countries um, some, you know, at one point in their life. But not many people are able to like think and imagine what it's like to live in third world countries and the um, environment and the things that are available to them and things like that. So I really hope that listening to this <laughs> podcast, there'll be someone who'll be like, oh, I think we can do that here. <laughs> yeah, but I, I also think too, like, um, even though I probably shouldn't say this as a maker of Bitcoin hardware wallets, but like if you're if you're storing under a couple thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, let's say you're storing like five hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin or less, or even a thousand dollars worth or less, you don't really need a hardware wallet. It's like the is like the honest <laughs> answer, you know? Um I mean you you can use uh, one of the many great software wallets available, you know, on your phone. I mean on, on Android Samurai wallet is is a really solid choice. There's a little bit of a learning curve, but it provides you with amazing privacy by default. You know, on um on iOS, there's a there's a bunch of options like Blue Wallet. Um, there's some you know non-custodial Lightning options as well. Like there, there there's a whole array of, of great options. Uh, and then of course Envoy, as we build out Envoy to be a standalone wallet over the next several months, I think that's going to be a really good option for people as well. So if you do have like a like an old phone. You could just put that phone into airplane mode and only install like a Bitcoin software wallet on it. And it's still going to be a pretty secure, you know, uh, environment, especially if you don't use it for anything else except for Bitcoin. So I would say like the need to go pay a few hundred dollars plus shipping to like buy like a hardware wallet from us or Trezor or Ledger, you probably don't need to unless you're storing like enough Bitcoin, right? And and I wish people said that more like on the hardware wallet side because it's really important like it's important to do it step by step. Like it's important to familiarize yourself with with how to self custody your own Bitcoin. Like you don't necessarily need to go from exchange to like this maxed out security setup with a dedicated, you know, hardware wallet to store the keys offline. It's perfectly fine to get one of the many great wallet apps, you know, on your phone. I recommend always doing one that's an open source app. I just think that's really important. And then storing, you know, storing it on your phone and, and and learning and understanding how it works, you know, and accumulating those, the you know, more Bitcoin over time. That's quite cool. And I think it's kind of encouraging too. <laughs> so there's this, and this might sound like super random, but <laughs> I, there's this video that has been going around for some time now. And I think... I hope I'm getting this correct, but I think the hardware wallet is a, oh my gosh, the the name skipped me, (laughs) but it's just, there's this video of them putting it in a toilet into like these different liquids, like toilet (laughs) in in the water and and just to show its durability. Oh my gosh. I wish I could remember the name of the hardware wallet. So like, I'm just curious and like, this is totally random, but like how durable is a passport? Yeah. So it's pretty durable in terms of like dropping it or something like that. It is not waterproof. I don't think any of the hardware wallets today are waterproof. Um, I think the video you're talking about is cold card. Yeah, there we go. Um, that's I think the one. <laughs> BTC, I think they're sponsoring uh, BTC sessions, and so I think that's the video you're referring to. It's not waterproof, <laughs> so that that device is absolutely dead. You know that they're <laughs> that they're using for the video. I actually um, saw some do... tweets of people saying that they've 
dropped it in water before by accident and it was still working. I don't so, know how. <laughs> so you could, so if you have like the device, like a, like a treasure or like um, the older ledger or a cold card that does not have like a battery inside. It's usually like if you expose those to water, as long as it fully dries, when you plug it back in, you know, power it back up. Usually it's okay, right? Because the electronics can, it's only a problem with electronics, like if if it has power going through it when it's exposed to water. But I mean, I think there, you bring up a good point about like durability in general. Let's work for like next, for our next passport, which we'll start working on soon and probably won't ship for at least, you know, a year, 18 months or so on. We're looking to see if we can do something that's actually like fully waterproof, fully dustproof, et cetera, because, you know, I think it's important, um, to, to try to make it as durable as possible. But the cool thing too, is like, it's really important to make it as easy as possible to back up. Cause even no matter how durable something is, like if you lose it, right. Then like, who cares? And so, you know, most hardware wallets, like the, the way that they, they push users to back up the device is by writing down these seed words, you know, usually 12 or 24 words. And then if you lose the device, you can always like recover your funds, um, but that that gets more difficult as well. And like Bitcoin today, where there's things like multi-sig, where it's not enough to just write down the seed words. You have to store other information as well to like recover your funds. So what we do by default is we have a really easy uh, backup process where we give you a micro SD card and you just, when you're setting it up, you insert the micro SD card into the device and it makes an encrypted backup for you. So if you do break your passport or if you lose your passport, you can always get a new one or just from your computer, pop in the SD card, you know, decrypt it, and you get access to the seed words and all your all your other backup information. So I think like, I think, um, you know, companies should be thinking a lot more like hardware wallet makers about like the backup process, because for anyone who's like lost a hardware wallet, sometimes just like the, just the re- the re- backup and restore process can be such a pain to do. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people like are scared of self-custody. It's like, what happens if I break or I lose my hardware wallet? Like how do I properly recover you know, all my money. Yeah, that is actually a scary thought to have. <laughs> but I like the fact that there are precautions that um, you guys have put in place to back up. And I think that's really good. But like, typically, what is the lifespan of a passport? So the, the honest answer is we don't know. <laughs> because it's only been, you know, in market for a bit over a year now. But they're holding up great. You know, so I mean, we're we're designing them to last for many years. There's no like planned obsolescence or anything like that. It is a user replaceable battery, you know. So we have we do AAA batteries on our last year's founder edition, and we actually do like Nokia style battery packs that are user replaceable on on our most recent Passport Batch Two. So you know, worst case, like you, if the battery, the lithium-ion battery, starts to die after few years you can you can easily buy a new battery pack either from us or even off you know any basically anyone that sells like nokia style batteries they're they're everywhere um and then you can just power it back up so hopefully you know passport will last for uh for many years yeah i think the time when i get mine i'm gonna write the date down <laughs> and let people know how long it lasts <laughs> but i mean i have i have like old treasure and ledger devices from like at least five five years ago you know so these products typically last a long time and i think like i said the reason why so many uh like 
phone, like so, like modern smartphones, they usually are are not lasting too long because like you cannot easily replace the built-in battery, right? And that that makes them kind of useless after some shorter period of time. Yeah, and um, hardware wallets are not something that you handle like every every second. Uh, it's not like your mobile right. phone that you have to, you always pick it up to check, um, you know, your social media or whatever. So it's just hold it and keep it somewhere. So exactly. um, yeah. I, my, my final question now is like someone who has a hardware wallet right now, what would you advise is the best way for them to keep it? Do they carry it around with them? Do they keep it in the cover? Do they put it in the safe? Like what would you say would be the ideal or the best practice when it comes to like owning your own hardware wallet? Yeah, I mean, I think best practice is to keep it somewhere secure, either at home, like in a safe or a lock drawer or hidden somewhere or in like a bank, like a safety deposit box even, you know? And I think I think best practice I would say today, though I think it's still too difficult to use for most people, is to do a multi-sig where you actually, instead of having your Bitcoin secured by just a single uh, key, like a single seed on your on your hardware wallet or software wallet, you require actually multiple signatures from multiple different devices or, or software wallets enabled to uh, access your coins. I think it's it's still probably too difficult today for like the average person. You could use a service like Casa, but you're paying for that. Um, and there's privacy trade-offs right now. Or you can use like one of the really great like desktop wallet applications like Sparrow, where it works really well, but there's usually like a higher learning curve. But then if you do that, you can have like, you can have a key on your phone, you can have a key on your computer, you can have a key on your hardware wallet, you can even keep like a backup key in a separate location. And then you can have like maximum security. But, you know, I think for most people, it's probably too much. I think, you know, the vast majority of um, ways you can lose your Bitcoin are usually from like a, a software application being compromised. So as long as you have your hardware wallet in a drawer, you know, or something like that, I think it already puts you 90, 95% of the way there, um, unless you're being specifically targeted by someone, right? Where you're worried someone's going to come look for it or try to steal it or something like that. Awesome. And that makes so much sense because I that is some <laughs> an aspect that I've been like trying to visualize. Okay, like I have this passport. What do I do with it? Do I put it right. in a box somewhere? <laughs> well, like, do I carry I mean, it around? Because it's so, uh, such a beautiful yeah. device, actually. <laughs> so like, Thank I don't you. see why I one can't carry it and put it in their handbag because it's so fine to look at. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had jokes about people traveling with it. And, and like they go through airport security and they think it's like a phone, you know, like it doesn't raise suspicions as to what it is. But um, I mean, I, I think like if you think about this, the recent Solana wallet hack, like all of those users would have been totally fine if they had their keys on a hardware wallet, even if the hardware wallet was like kept on their desk at home. Right. So I, I think like you still are 90 to 95 percent of the way there just from having one of these things where your keys can stay offline you're also probably pretty far along if you if you have them on a on like a phone on airplane mode or something like that you know that's still not the best but it's okay if you're storing you know smaller amounts of funds right but i think like get your keys offline you know it's okay if it just sits on your desk or something like that and then if you start to store a lot more money you can start thinking about like more complex security setups yeah, that that sounds good. Oh, and one other question: like, yeah. is it possible to like 
um, store your Bitcoin in this passport remotely, like maybe your you have your hardware wallet in a safety deposit, like is mm-hmm. it possible to still, you know, store your Bitcoin directly in yeah. there? Or do you have to like go to the safety deposit, bring your <laughs> your passport, and then do that, then put it back? Like what is yeah, that? So- What's the process like? So it's actually a really good question because there's some like security trade-offs where if you don't go check the physical device, because like, you know, when you connect Passport with your software wallet of choice, let's say our Envoy app, um, Envoy is able to, you you click the receive button on Envoy and it displays to you a new address to receive your Bitcoin to. So you can do that. Your Passport can be anywhere. It can be in, in the bank somewhere. It could be across the country. In a different location and you can always receive bitcoin to it the only thing is is like well what happens if the software wallet has been compromised you know how do you know that the address that the software is showing you on your phone is actually a bitcoin address that belongs to you so if you've already like received bitcoin to this address in the past then you know you're fine so you can like send it to the same address or if you like wanted to save a bunch of addresses that you know are good to go, you can like save that and you can you can have a list of addresses because for privacy reasons, you want you usually want to uh, send your Bitcoin to a, a fresh address each time because then it's harder to associate those Bitcoin you know with you. So what Passport does, if you have your Passport in hand, is you can actually scan the QR code of the address from the Passport screen. And then it tells you if that address belongs to Passport, which is really cool. So it's like an extra little verification you can do um, if you have your Passport already. So I think the short answer is like, if you've already verified that the address belongs to your hardware wallet, then it's totally fine to keep it in a different location and just you know receive Bitcoin to that address, even if you're not physically there. Awesome. That sounds super cool. And, you know, key takeaways for me is that <laughs> the passport isn't just beautiful, like it is well thought out, great attention to detail, super safe. And like you guys are doing an amazing job. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time. And thank you for like your the insights you shared on the podcast. Nice thank to have you. Thanks so much here. for having me. What an amazing episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we have. Subscribe to know when next we release a new episode. Drop a review. Let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Follow Bitnob on Twitter at Bitnob underscore official. That's at B-I-T-N-O-B underscore O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. See you in the next episode.